Sort out the technology. <laughs> uh, okay, can you hear me? Yeah. It's okay, brilliant. 
Uh, Thank you, Sue, for reading. As we come to God's word, let's pray together. We've sung that your mercy flows like a river. And we know that that mercy comes to us through your word. And we pray this morning, Father, as we look at um, the servant in Isaiah, that you would open our eyes and have mercy on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, who have the following got in common? James Bond, Basil Fawlty, Jerry in Tom and Jerry, the mouse, Harry Potter, and Batman. Quite a list. I won't, actually, it's a rhetorical question. I won't ask for an answer. But what they have in common is that they are all anti-heroes, unlikely heroes. We saw a few, didn't we, at the beginning of the, uh, the service. Characters who win battles and triumph in spite of and even through their weaknesses. Uh, think of the alcoholic womanising of a James Bond or the comic ineptitude of a Basil Fawlty through to the unassuming youth of a Harry Potter. In one shape or form, they're all tragic characters and yet in spite of their tragedies, they triumph. They get the girl, they defeat the baddie, they overcome the opposition. It's a a compelling character. Many of our um, sort of beloved crime uh, dramas on on telly uh, revolve around such characters. Maybe you've been gripped by Luther recently, series five, I think, uh, just finished. And Luther's rather similar. He's a flawed character, isn't he? Well, today we're going to meet another unlikely hero. Not a tragic character as such, but one who brings about victory and triumph through weakness. The prophecy of Isaiah 42 was intended, as we learned last week, for the people of God in exile. God's people at the time of writing had been taken out of their land because of their rebellion and sin. You might have noticed it right at the end of the reading. Verse 17, those who trust in idols. That was Israel. And they were under the judgment of God. They'd been removed from their land, exiled. And so, for the original readers of this prophecy, the question that they were living with day to day was, is there any hope? Has God forgotten about his promises Well, these chapters, and this chapter in particular in Isaiah, address that issue. Last week, if you were here, we saw in chapter 41 that God speaks a word of encouragement to his sinful, fearful people. If you remember last week, God was saying that he was trustworthy, that he would provide for them, that he would save them, uh, and not the idols that they trusted in. And this week, we're going to see how God does that. How he rescues his people. Before we look at the passage, let's just think, how do we relate to those exiles, to those original readers? Well, in two ways, I think. Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, we are like the exiles. The New Testament say that, uh, says that we are citizens of heaven, and yet we live exiled, scattered in a world that is opposed to God, rather like the Israels, the Israelites who were living in Babylon in the exile, in a place opposed to their faith. And so life 
here, as a Christian, can be really hard. The emotional experience of the exiles is often the Christian experience too. Uncertainty, doubt, loneliness, feeling that no one understands our faith, opposition, temptation, the fears of the future. We can often think as well, are we going to survive in a world that is opposed to God? Who will look after us? Who will provide for us? Who will help us? So Christians. But more widely, this is a picture of the whole world, non-believers as well. Because the biggest need of everyone in the world is to be reconciled to God. The exile is a picture of all of us. Uh, See, the biggest problem that we face in the world is that we are by nature estranged from God far from him, in rebellion against him. And he should and he will judge us, but before that there is hope and a way back to him. See, Christians, non-Christians, in both cases the question is how? How is God going to bring about this rescue, this hope? Well, meet the hero of this chapter, who is described in verse 1 as... God's servant, God's servant. And this brings us to our first point this morning. Meet God's servant who brings justice through gentleness. Meet God's servant who brings justice through gentleness. So look down with me, page 728, chapter 42, verse 1. As the servant is introduced, here is my servant, the Lord says. Now, it's the first time we meet this character, the servant in Isaiah, in what is, is called one of four servant songs, passages of Isaiah that particularly uh, describe the ministry of this servant. Now, in, in the original, there is a, a word at the beginning of 42, look, uh, look, the word hen in Hebrew. And it's a word that's significant because it was used back in chapter 41, verse 29, of the idols. As God says, look at the idols, they're false. And that's important because what's going on here is Isaiah is saying, don't look at the idols, look at my servant. Look, my servant, who's the one, the true king. Well, what do we learn about this servant as we meet him? Well, verse 1 He has a special relationship to God. See, he's upheld by God, chosen by God, delighted in by God. A special relationship to God and a special commission by God. So he's full of the spirit, verse 1. I'll put my spirit on him. The spirit of power. See, this servant is full of God's power to bring about change. Why? Well, his job is to bring justice. Do you see that word there in verse 1? Justice. And it it crops up again in verse 4, bookending the first little section of the passage. God's servant is to bring justice. It's the key word of this little section. Now, sometimes in the Bible, justice means punishment. God says that one day he will bring judgment and justice to the earth, but that's not the sense here. It's more justice in the sense of government and rule. The nations need ruling and governing, and God is saying, I'm going to do that through my servant. He's the one who's going to rule. See, think of the most intractable problems of government. We don't have to think far back this week, do we? 
to notice and remember those. Things that stump our government. Who can sort them out? Well, God's servant can. And not just the nations, but verse 4, the whole earth. Justice on earth. See, the servant's mission is to bring about a perfect rule for the world. To rule it justly. Not for selfish gain, but in faithfulness, fairness and goodness. The ruler that we've all been waiting for. See, meet the servant who brings justice. Isn't that good news this morning? Are we not all looking for somebody like that? We had the vote, didn't we, last week on Brexit. Um, If you've been asleep all week, maybe you missed it, but uh, even if you have, you probably haven't. Um, (laughs) And strikingly, uh, YouGov uh, had a poll on the night of the vote, um, and the poll was, should the government stay in office? And the the, the result was quite striking. 48% of those polls said yes, under half. 29% said no, and 23% said they didn't know. It's amazing. Insecurity in the government filters down into the people. See, we need a leader. And God's servant is the one who will lead. And he will sort out the world's mess. So how is he going to do it? How is he going to do it? Well, here's the surprise. Verses 2 and 3. Not through powerful rule, not through conquest, but through gentleness. See, meet the servant who brings justice through gentleness. The ministry of the servant is characterised by his gentle character. Now, what's striking about these two verses is that the ministry of the servant is actually described mostly in negatives. What he won't do. So notice verse 2, he won't shout or cry out. No, this leader won't force himself on people. He won't raise his voice. He won't win power through shouting his agenda. And verse 3, one of the most wonderful verses in the whole of scripture. He won't break a bruised reed. That is, this leader will be gentle with hurting people. With hurting believers. He won't snuff out a smouldering wick. That is, this leader won't trample on weakness and destroy uh, weak faith. No, this is a powerful saviour, but he uses his power for gentleness. And it's the kind of saviour that the people in exile, in Isaiah's day, needed. One who's gentle with struggling and sinful and broken people. Now, does that remind you of anyone? It should do. Because in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew applies these very verses to the ministry of Jesus. You see, lift the veil and Jesus Christ is God's servant who brings about justice through gentleness. These verses are a description of Jesus. He is God's delighted in servant. Jesus is the one full of the Spirit who powerfully works miracles and heals people. And Jesus is the one who is gentle with sinners. I wonder, have you met him? Well, before we think more about that, let's just see a little bit more what this servant will do. So look down to verses 5 to 9, where God stops speaking about the servant and starts speaking to the servant. So these verses are addressed Uh, to the servant. Uh, And the servant is given here his mandate, his mission. 
And it's nothing less than the creation of a new people, especially verse 6, bringing the Gentiles in to God's family. Gentiles is the name for those outside of Israel. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to be a part of the people of God, you had to be born into a nation. So this is very exciting and very new. The servant is going to extend the rule of God beyond the boundaries of Israel and bring in the Gentiles. Us. Us. It's the scope of his mission. To open blind eyes, to free captives, verse 7, to release those who sit in darkness. And this is what Jesus did through all of the Gospels and what he still does today. See, the New Testament puts more flesh on these bones. Opening blind eyes, seeing the great realities of sin, of judgment, of God's offer of grace. Freeing captives, that is to free us from the great enemies of sin and death and to release those in darkness. The darkness of, of being far away from God. I wonder if you've ever been for a walk in the dark. I used to live up in the north in Sheffield and I remember going for a night walk once round some reservoirs near my flats. Now it's a route that I knew very well, but in the dark it's so different, it's sort of scary. Because you, can, you can't see anything, obviously. You can only see the, the bit of the path in front of you. You can't see context, you can't see uh, sort of scenery, you can't really see where you are in relation to everything else. And in the dark everything seems a little bit more foreboding anyway. And it's a picture of life without God. See, if you don't know God, you, you live life just seeing the bit in front of you, but you can't see beyond it. You can't see the bigger picture of life. You can't see the destination, what, what lies beyond. We need somebody to show us. To, like, if you like, turn the light on in our lives. And it's Jesus, the light of the world, who does that. I started to follow Christ in my teens because... I saw in him one who finally made sense of my life, showing me the true meaning of it, the true sort of where it fits and what really lies beyond it. But he does so gently, not by forcing himself. See, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to come and ask him. So this morning, meet the servant who brings justice through gentleness. So have you met him? Have you met this servant? See, maybe you're here this morning at St Nick's and you wouldn't call yourself a believer. And as you think about your life, maybe it feels a little bit like that. You're in the dark, you're in a mess. Who are you looking to lead you? See, when we're in pain or, 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 or trouble, we look for things to kind of sort ourselves out, don't we? Money, possessions, relationships... Pain and struggle make us look for relief. Well, where are you looking? The message of Isaiah 42 is that none of those other good things ultimately can rule us, can govern us, can lead us through. Only Jesus, God's servant, can. And he has a message for those of us in darkness this morning. He says, repent, turn away from those other things and turn to him. So have you met this servant but maybe you have let me ask another question do you need the ministry of this servant today do you need the ministry of this servant today are you a believer feeling bruised perhaps by sin by guilt 
just the trouble of living in a fallen world, anxiety, depression. Is your heart broken this morning by your own life experience or by the hurts of others? One writer who writes on these verses in a wonderful book called The Bruised Reed, which I'd recommend uh, to everyone. Richard Sibbs, an old uh, Puritan writer, uh, said this of the Lord Jesus. He is a physician good at all diseases, especially at the binding up of a broken heart. See, is your, is your heart broken? Are you bruised? Well, come to Jesus. And are you smouldering? Is your faith very weak this morning? Perhaps you're here and you're sort of thinking, am I going to make it as a Christian? My faith just feels very weak. Well, this saviour will not uh, snuff out a smouldering wick. Rather, he will nurture it and blow it back into life gently. Do you need the ministry of this servant this morning? Come to the one who has power and authority to rule and govern you and to put your heart and life back together. How do we know that he'll do that? Particularly when we're so sinful? Well, it's because he too was bruised. These verses lead us straight actually into a later chapter in Isaiah, chapter 53, that uses the same language of the cross where Jesus was bruised for our sin. See, Jesus lived a life of sorrow and so has sympathy for us as sorrowful Christians. So, meet the servant who brings justice through gentleness. But once we've met this servant, once we're following this servant, once we are enjoying the ministry of this servant, what is the response? What's the response? Well, on to verses 10 to 17 more briefly. See, we don't just meet... Uh, the servant who brings justice through gentleness here. In response, we are to praise the God who brings rescue through his servant. Praise the God who brings rescue through his servant. So look down at verses 10 and following. The scope of the servant's rescue brings praise, a new song. And in verses 11 and 12, the praise comes from surprising places, Kedar and Selah. These were powerful, wealthy areas that actually had nothing to do with Israel and nothing to do with God. But even they are within the scope of God's rescue. So even they, verse 12, give praise to God. And the praise is great because the scope of the rescue is great. So look down at verses 14 to 16. That spell out again the scope of this rescue and emphasise God's power. Verse 15, to lay waste the mountains, to dry up the vegetation, to turn rivers to islands and to dry up the pools. One commentator says of these verses that what is being exalted here is the Lord's absolute power over creation. He can make the gardens of the mighty into deserts and he can make the deserts of the helpless into gardens. Isn't that wonderful? See, to be rescued by the servant, by Christ, is a wonderful thing and it should make us rejoice this morning. Meet the servant who brings justice through gentleness, but then praise the God who brings rescue through his servants. So as we close, let's think about those two commands, meet and praise. It's really the overall theme, I think, of, of the sermon. See, a life of praise comes from meeting and following Christ. 
you meet Christ and then you praise him. And that's the order all the way through the scriptures, isn't it? We come to Christ by faith and in response to him we live for him and we praise him. But again, this chapter adds a little bit of colour to that because it shows us that that praise may come actually in the midst of great weakness and great struggle. Often following Christ might seem mostly negative, rather like the description of the servant. You look at your life and you think, well, I can't do that and I can't do that. Where's the power? Where's the victory? Well, following Christ often feels like that. But that's because Christ himself was a man of weakness and a man of sorrows. But you see, the secret of the Christian life is that as we live, even in weakness, we do so following him, coming to him, relying on him, leaning on him, as we sung earlier. And the encouragement this morning is to keep on doing that. Christian, don't go anywhere else. Don't turn to the idols in your life. Turn to Christ. This morning, seek his help, seek his grace, his forgiveness, his power to live for him this week. As we close, let's pray together. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick wick he will not snuff out. Just take a moment to respond uh, in your own heart to the Lord Jesus and those verses. Lord, you know where we are this morning individually. Uh, You know what we need uh, from you. Thank you for your wonderful character that is gentle with us. And we pray this morning that if we don't know you at all, if we are not a believer, we pray that you would open, uh, open blind eyes to your wonderful ministry. And we pray this morning too, if we're broken and bruised, struggling to follow you, struggling with faith, that you draw near us and uh, be gentle with us, restore us this morning and lead us all as a congregation and individually uh, to live lives of praise to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.